Welcome to another episode of Double B Creates. This is Brad and Kevin. Today we're talking to Cindy Lemke and uh, we're super excited to have her on. And I'm going to let her do her own intro this time. We're going to change it up a little bit. So Cindy, take it away. Thank you. So my name is Cindy Lemke. I am the marketing realtor and uh, that's how I started my career into where I'm at now, which is the executive director for my local chamber of commerce. That's it. That's me in a nutshell. Very short, very sweet. <laughs> well, we'd be here forever in the intro if I told you everything I did. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of one thing that we wanted to talk about is kind of more or less like a history of you, your background, um, kind of how you started getting into the entrepreneurial world instead of working the regular nine to five that you're supposed to do. Oh God. Are you ready for that? Uh, yes. Yes, we are. That's why we're here. Okay. So I actually started I, my whole background forever, like, I don't know, 20 years I was in retail management. Um, and I, my first management position, I was like 10 years. I worked, I don't think it was 10 years. It was almost 10 years. I worked for Kenneth Cole and I loved it. I was a training manager. I went all over the country. I, I, I just, I really loved my job. But when I started realizing that the people I was training were making so much more than me and they just started, I was like, oh, hell no. So I was like starting to talk to some of my friends and a girlfriend who worked for Target, which is just a big box store, you know, um, she was like, it's, it would, you would just, it would, a department would be like your store. You should give it a shot because I know that they would give you more than what you make, you know, and I'm like, Target, like I work for Kenneth Cole, like, oh my God. Yeah, they paid me like 10 grand more just to come on. Um, but what they don't tell you is you don't, you don't work in your hometown store. You don't, you know, you go and apply at your local um, big box store and they put you in BFE because they got to put you where they need you. Um, and so I commuted for, um, I think it was over an hour, sometimes an hour and a half with traffic just to get to work. You know, um, and then you don't, it's not Monday through Friday, nine to five, like no retail is anyway, but it's not even like a 40 hour work week. You're working, you know, 50, 60 hours just to maintain your department. And then one or two days, you're what they call an LOD, which is leader on duty where you run the entire store. So that's two days that you don't have in your department. It was just, and then what, what killed me was. When I ran my own store, I was like, uh, the team, uh, I, I don't know, like my passion was learning about the people coming in. What did they want to do? Let me help them get to their next level. What, maybe they're going to go back to school. Maybe they were just um, working to, you know, figure out, I don't know, like I would promote them and get them out of my store to their own stores or to other stores as a promotion. Like you, if you do stuff just for you, it's never going to work and, and the people aren't going to want to be there. And, and we had a really good time. I am actually still really good friends with two of the um, girls that I worked with. And um, of course, you know, we're Facebook friends with everybody I worked with. Um, but when I left Kenneth Cole and went to the other store, um, that is not how they do it. They fucking set you up to fail. And I was, I was, I mean, stupid, petty shit. Like, you know, you would, you would close. And then when you came in the next day, the manager had Polaroids of this aisle that was all jacked up. And I was like, like I would leave stuff on the floor. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Or they would, they would hide carts. So you didn't put stuff away and get busted for not putting stuff away. So when I, when I realized that, and it, maybe it was just my store, maybe, maybe every other store is amazing and a great place to work. Um, but it did not work out for me at that store. And, um, I actually got fired for negligent conduct um, and didn't realize that I probably could have sued their ass because the door I left open that I got for negligent conduct was, you know, when uh, you see a cashier and they put the twenties down in the little box on the bottom and then, you know, they give you the, well, when you're closing, you have to leave that open. So security and other people realize there's no money, so they won't break in to get it. Right. That's the, that's the lock I left undone. So, you know, but everything happens for a reason. Cause it was just, it was not where I was supposed to be. So I thought, you know, I don't want to go back to retail. By this time I had two little kids and, um, I think 
I don't know, maybe they were seven and nine, my, my two older kids. Um, so I was like, I'm going to revamp my resume because in retail, you do everything like any other business. You have HR, you have sales, you have uh, inventory, warehouse, you know. So if you just break down, I think that's when I realized I was different. Like I'm not a Monday through Friday corporate or I'm not a, that was kind of my first clue when I got myself out of um, Target and tried to revamp. And I went to, uh, I, I put my resume on Monster and I got hired for even more money than I was making at Target to be an operations manager Monday through Friday. It was far. It was a, like an hour away, but it was like, uh, I don't, it was amazing. I had so much, I, I think I had my own office. I got to meet with people. I got to create new departments and training and SOPs and all that. I loved it. But what I didn't realize is again, I wasn't working by myself for my team. I was, I had a director to report to, and then I had a sales manager that she had her own team and the two departments that I created, all of that, the director didn't like, she didn't like me. I, she, our personalities were not. So she was the polar opposite of me. So if people had questions or problems, they would come to me and I would have to take it to her because she wasn't approachable. Um, so she took it as I was like turning them against her kind of thing. So um, things got really weird and she started giving me really weird projects. Like uh, I think you should put your desk in the warehouse and you need to learn warehouse, you know, top to bottom. Meanwhile, we had a whole team that wrote their own SOPs and she was like, well, you need to make sure like just stuff to like make me hate it. Right. So I was like, oh, I don't know. That's weird. I don't understand why this is happening, but okay. So when she realized that I don't give a shit where I work, I, you could put me in the warehouse. Like what, who cares? We're all here for the company or for each other or, you know, um, it just, it didn't phase me. Then she started getting like um, passive aggressive, I would say. Cause it was, you know, you, when you're in a management position, you're responsible for your team and you have to, you're going to be held accountable if you do something maybe illegal or harassment or so she would just do little weird stuff that was like, I didn't get it. So then corporate comes down and they're in, I don't know, Idaho or Ohio, somewhere Midwest. And they, they wanted me to fly back and tell them what we had been doing there. Well, she got super pissed that they invited me instead of her. Um, and when I was there, they said, would you be open to creating like a human resources department for all the companies? Because what this company did was it was a really large company. They bought little companies, turned them around and sold them because it was like mom and pops that maybe they wanted to retire or they didn't want to do it anymore, but it was a great opportunity. Um, and so I was like, all I could think about in my head was I'll do whatever you want me to do Monday through Friday, nine to five, as long as I don't have to work holidays and nights and weekends anymore. I will do whatever like that. How does anybody not think this is the most amazing thing in the world? Right? So when I came back, probably, I think we had the holidays. Um, so I didn't hear from corporate and I never reached out. I never thought anything about it. I just thought, well, maybe in the, you know, there's something in the works or whatever. They fucking fired me in January and just said, uh, it's, we're going to eliminate your position. We're really sorry. We don't need this, but if you would like to, transfer to wherever the hell they were, Ohio or Idaho, or I don't know where they were. You can, you can have that job, but you can't stay here. Well, not, I have kids, my family, my in-laws, my there's, I'm not going to uproot my family and go somewhere where I don't know. And when I went there, the Mexican food sucked. The people that just, the whole environment was like, I am not, they don't know, no, no, no. And I can't cook Mexican for all you guys all the time. Like it's not happening. That was the worst Mexican food I ever had in my life. Um, so then I was like, okay, that's okay. I'll start over again. Sorry, Mexican food's really important to me. Tacos are amazing. I could live on that shit. So um, then I revamped my, my resume again and um, the local casino here said, we'll hire you for 14 bucks an hour. And I was like, Oh hell no, you're not going to hire me for 14 bucks an hour. I just came from all these other jobs where I wasn't even 
like, like I was offended. Like, why did you even call me? Like, of course I wouldn't. So I got him to hire me for 18, which was still like, oh my God, I can't believe. And I came in as the receptionist. Oh my God. I was like, that's okay. I could work my way up. You know, everything happens for a reason. You get put in spots for whatever reason. Two weeks after I got hired, the sponsorship coordinator was gone. So they, they gave me that. Within a month, within, oh, well, I'll just break it down for you. Within the next two months, we lost the advertising manager, the promotions manager, and then the director of marketing. Guess who worked their way up the chain in no time at all. So then I stayed there for like four years and loved it. It's a local, um, the local casino was, I mean, every, everybody came from LA, um, like people would drive 90 miles just to come to the casino. I mean, it's, you know, we don't have a lot of those, um, probably in LA and, and, uh, we do now in San Diego, but, um, to me it was fun because it's marketing. This is where I learned my passion for marketing because it makes a huge difference when you give a shit about what you're doing for the community. Right? So all I could think about was when I would go on the floor, the, you know, drink, there wasn't enough drink people in this section, but there was three of them over there. So I would just talk to people and be like, Hey, you know, you have a lot of people here. Can we move them here? And then I started talking to the customers, like, what do you like? What do you not like? Why do you come? Where did you come from? And started incorporating all the feedback, even with the team, because the team that's on the lines with the clients have so much information. And what I was learning is a lot of times when you're in a management position or you're, you're up, you know, running the company, doing the numbers, making, you know, executing the plan, you lose, it gets diluted because you forget who you're serving and what they're doing. And then you forget the people that are trying to take care of those people. It's marketing. All marketing is is communication. So anyway, I learned a lot about marketing. And then when I had the vendors and I was honest with them and said, I don't know what we're doing, but if I find out that you screw me or the casino, you will never do business with us again. And I think 90% of them, I still talk to, to to this day in local businesses and we still work together and do other things because I think another lesson is you have to be honest. Don't bullshit your way through, through things. And then, you know, ask questions, be honest and get, get the stuff done. Like it's not, um, cause when you bullshit your way around stuff, you get figured out real quick and integrity is everything. You have to earn where you're at and you have to earn how you're going to get there. And if you, if you start trying to fake it till you make it, you ain't going to make it. Um, I, I hate that. I think that can be a um, like thought process or like a motivation to like, I think you should dress the part. I think that you should, you know, um, be involved in the things you want to grow into, but don't, don't ever BS an answer. Don't, you have to ask questions and you have to do it right the first time. So you don't waste time. Um, then I got, so in that time when I was there, we were local chambers to probably nine chambers of commerce. Um, and I loved chambers of commerce because what that is, is basically a liaison for your community and your local businesses to take care of each other, either, either learn how to um, get a certain product or service or how to give back and who needs it, you know? So it was just very, very cool. Well, then I get, I was chair, chairman of um, one of the other local chambers of commerce. And I met a lot of people that worked art, even though there's a lot of cities around, um, we're not that far from each other. So, you know, you can go 20 minutes east and you're in another city you can go 20 minutes north of that city and you're in another city. So all of those cities have their local chambers, right? So I started meeting all these um, board directors and business leaders and um, the city councils and um, like dig local dignitaries, if you will. And, and, and um, the one thing I did learn and that you need to take um, advantage of is everybody's approachable everybody's approachable. You can ask to be a part of anything and they have to let you in because you do have something, something to contribute. So it's a win-win situation. Whenever you're trying to do something new, 
Don't just try to think about what it's, what's in it for me. How can you contribute to them? How can it be a win-win situation? And I think if you do that with whatever endeavor you're doing, you're going you're gonna to surpass what you expected to do because you're giving as much as you're receiving. Um, I, I think that, um, so what happened with that is I started talking, started um, building relationships. Well, I got recruited, basically. Um, I loved the, the, the casino. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. I, loved, I started falling in love with marketing. But then I thought, so, <clears throat> so one of the guys was like, you know, you, we want to create a position for you. We love what you're doing. But this local nonprofit has a lot of opportunity and they had a lot of money so they could grow the service. So it was a fucking shelter. And um, it's still Monday through Friday, nine to five, but it was in a shelter, man. Like the smell, like the, oh my God. The, it was so different than what I had ever experienced. I had like that doTERRA thing going. I had like the, the sensi shit going. Like, oh my, cause I am super sensitive with smell. Oh my God, it was, it was painful, but then you get used to it and you move on. But what happened is, is it didn't work because I worked for another director who um, was, was really good at what he did. He was there for a long time, but what happens when we get comfortable, right? We don't like change and we don't like coming, people coming in and changing shit up and adding new things or this is not how we, this, the, my, the one statement that I hate is this is not how we always do it. That's good. You shouldn't always do it. How that, that, that's, that, that is the, that will cause you to fail every time you have to be uncomfortable. You have to be changing. You have to be relevant. And part of that is not doing now. There's a difference with tradition. There's things that you do because it works and it's proven, but it's still, that still has to like evolve a little bit one way or another. Anyway, that didn't work out. So now I'm like, Oh, and the guy that took my spot at the casino, of course I mentored him. Of course I got him. I wanted to share everything because again, so um, truth be told, two of my older children are from the local reservation. So it behooves me for them to do well because then my babies are taken care of, you know, for their futures and what they're doing. So I, I had more invested than just a company. I wanted it to succeed for the community. Um, so I couldn't go back because I wanted to help that guy to succeed. So that was dumb. But um, so then I was like, now what am I going to do? And for five years, I could not find the perfect fit. I went to a fancy marketing firm in a, in a bigger town about 45 minutes from here. And when you're an entrepreneurial spirit, you know what you know, what you know. You know how you want to do things. You know why you do things. And, and you, you, you have this voice inside of you that you can't shut up. And that's why most of us that are entrepreneurial spirits cannot work for someone. They can't work for someone else because we know we could do it better, right? So um, I respect authority. I, you know, we need it in places. It just doesn't work for me. Like, I, because it's never the same personality where you can, you know, um, I like to work with people. I'm a collaborator. Um, I, I do things with people. But a lot of people in higher positions in other places don't. They just want it their way, you know, and God bless them. It works for some people, but it just, it was not for me. So, so, um, oh my, the, the marketing. Okay. Let me just tell you this. Dropbox is never private. Can you remember that folks? Don't put stuff on Dropbox that you want other people to find. And as the new chick who has to um, go into the boss's office, because the, even the, the office manager was too embarrassed to go to her boss and say, we saw all your pictures. Like, can't work there anymore. That's weird. Um, that, uh, traumatizing. Wow. Oops. Yeah. So then I, I, I took some other jobs, but what started happening was is people started coming to me for marketing. Um, one of the other guys I met at one of the local, um, chambers had his own business. He was a insurance agent, but he also bought a building and then rented out office space. So he hired me to do marketing for him. And then he was, he is a entrepreneur through and through. That's how he thinks. That's how he eats. That's how he breathes. And so he was coaching me, Cindy, you need to start your own business. You can do a marketing company. And I'm like, no, I can't. Cause I, 
I had never thought of that. First of all, it's, it's inconsistent. You never know if you're going to get paid every week. You don't know if you're going to have benefits. You don't, I wasn't willing to commit to that. Like that sounds scary to me. I'm not doing that. I'll just work for you for $10 an hour because sometimes you just have to get a job. Right. So um, then I was like, this is bullshit. This isn't enough money. So then I started doing little side jobs and I started helping people with their marketing. Then I started doing classes. Then I started, you know, social media was so important to me. And this was probably back in 2011, I guess, maybe 2000. It was, um, you know, earlier part of it where nobody was utilizing social media like they should have. It's free and everybody's on it. It's like the phone book. Everybody's on it from five to 95 and it's free. What's the matter with you? Get on social media. So I started teaching that and really making an impact. Um, and so it did take me several years, probably two more years. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm gonna start my own company. Then I chickened out and I took another job and um, I was there for a year and I had a great time. It was really good. But the guy was uh, from China and I opened his business. He found me on Craigslist, by the way. You can get a job. You can get a job. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do, you just have to be creative, y'all. Like, I was like, you know, if you can, um, there's a lot of things you can do on Craigslist. I'm sure I could get hired. So the guy from China, who he was a lighting guy, he was like, uh, message me. And he's like, I want to start a company in the U.S. Can you do that? Now I told you earlier not to bullshit. I wasn't bullshitting when I said yes, I had never done that before, but there's Google now. We can Google a lot of things to find out how to do things, how to start a business, where to get a license, how to get insurance, who to talk to. And then besides all of the networking you're just doing and all those other networking groups and your chambers of commerce and your local friends and your, you talk to people and ask questions because you may not know the answer, but you pretty, you probably do know someone who does know the answer. All you gotta do is ask. So I started the company. I increased his business 113%, but he was from China and I'm from Cali. And you don't talk to me like that. You don't do things to me like that. And we got into it and I almost like, it was not good. So that didn't work out. So then um, the day he fired me, my grandmother fell and broke her hip. And um, she had lived with us for a few years, but it just, she got really, really sick and so I continued to do, take jobs on the side. And, and truth be told, I was really scared to start a company because that scared me. I, you know, marketing is another thing that it, it, I felt guilty. I felt guilty because you should, like, I didn't want to take your money to show you things that you could be doing. Like, I didn't want to take your money to show you how to master something you could be doing for free. So that, I was my own uh, worst enemy for my marketing company because I never was confident enough to take your money and feel good about it. So it, it kind of wasn't going to work that way. So my grandmother got really, really sick. I, I was down to like, I think, I think I was only managing like four clients. So it wasn't a ton of money, but um, my grandma out of nowhere says, you know, you keep doing all this stuff for other people. Why don't you do it for yourself? And I'm like, yeah, you think like I'm starting a marketing company. She's like, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. Like you're doing a thing on the side, but you won't really commit. You know, she says, well, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I was doing was also helping people find um, offices, office space, um, and just handing them over to commercial real estate agents. Um, and I was always, one of the things that um, I used to always say was that my, and I know this is cheesy and don't make fun of me, but one of my dreams is to fill every empty building in my community with new business so that we create opportunity. People are proud of where they come from and we contribute to society that way. Like I, I, I we have six high schools, so there's lots of families. We have um, manufacturing opportunities if we just got with the city to build the locations for them to do it because we have the space. Like there's, there's promise here, there's opportunity here. So my grandma said, why don't you just become a real estate agent? And I was like, what the hell? What is, what? Where did you come up with that? And she's like, cause we had just, oh my God, when I think of the commission that I lost, sold my son's house, sold my daughter's house, sold our house, bought this house. Oh my God, that's so much money. Like, oh. 
you're right, I should become a real estate agent. So um, I, I was taking classes, and um, but it was really hard to take care of my grandma because she was getting worse and worse and worse, you know, time progresses. She was 88. She passed away in December of 2017. I committed to that real estate training and passed my test January 30th. So all of the stuff I just dragged you with me, all the stuff I just told you, I utilized and threw into my real estate. In my first year of real estate, I had 16 transactions and over $4 million in sales. 16 transactions and $4 million in sales. And that is because I committed to my business. And the thing is, is um, we can all do what we want to do. We just have to have the confidence in ourselves and the commitment to our success. So um, as I was doing all of these transactions, the local um, chairman for the Chamber of Commerce gave me a call. And I knew him because I had been active. He's like, hey, are you taking on other projects? And I was like, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, he wants me to market for his, his wife is a doctor. So she has all these buildings like do I really want to do marketing right now for other businesses? I was helping other real estate agents and, you know, because you also can't be afraid of competition. You guys can help each other. There's plenty of business for everyone. I always do classes for real estate agents because I, I know that there is plenty of business for all of us. And if you do good things, good things will happen. Um, I cannot believe the real estate industry and how these people are. They, they are monsters. They are monsters. They're awful. A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. So, um, so then they asked me to consult for the chamber and I was like, Oh, like I love the chamber. Like I, I love the chamber and there's so much more we could have been doing, but they always did the things the way they did it. We, we don't do it like that. We don't do it like that. Well, that's why you don't have a growth spurt of new businesses coming to. So I consulted for them for six months. I worked 20 hours a week at the chamber which was probably actually 40 and then 20 hours on real estate, um, continued to sell real estate and um, they hired me full time in May. We've um, since I've been there, we've increased a hundred members and um, are growing. We're over 500 members. I, I think we're at 531, 532, something like that. Um, but I want to get to a thousand members because we have over 2000 businesses. There's no reason not to have 2000, but I won't be greedy. Um, and, uh, that's, that's now it's not even a nutshell. Now, you know, it all that's, that's where I am today. I always keep going back to the homeless shelter and the smell. Cause I'm a, I work at a sewer plant and I'm like, you big baby. <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> oh. I have been sprayed with stuff and oh, stuff yeah. that you couldn't even understand. <clears throat> I can't even think about it. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Every, I guess with every pregnancy, my nose got a little more sensitive. Like if you have bad breath right now, I could probably smell it. <laughs> it's bad. I mean, not your breath, my nose. <laughs> so, I keep, I keep mints on my desk for people. Just people are talking you just like toss a Tic Tac in their mouth. When it's <laughs> I'm like, what was that for? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't, I don't say anything. Like, I mean, I'm pretty straightforward, but. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I want you to come back. <laughs> That's so mean. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, uh, that's a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. I talked for a long time. Oh no, you're good. No, you're good. I actually, I, I, we don't prepare questions. We just kind of roll with it. And there was one question I really wanted to ask you because of the demographic of your area versus like my area, for example. Yeah. Why is it, maybe in your personal opinion, are some areas so much more expensive to live in terms of real estate um, than others? I mean, like, perfect example, my house in a different area would probably, would probably be worth about four times what I paid for it. You know what I mean? Like, so, well, and, and it, it could be simple, and it could be elaborate but the simple the simple way to say it is how close to amenities are you how how close to you know what 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 services do you have close to the house if it takes you a certain amount of time to get to a grocery store 
or, you know, the post office or that kind of, because then, you know, that has a little bit of, some people, that's what they want. I get it. But, you know, I think geographically that's why it is. So um, I don't know in Utah, but in California, um, and don't quote me on this, um, but what my understanding is, is that every um, city and or county has to have a certain amount of, um, I, um, what is it called? The low income housing. And that doesn't mean like a certain low income. It just means maybe more affordable for like smaller homes or seniors or young families that are growing, you know? So, and I know for a fact that we have a, a sister city that's really, it's like five times the price there than it is here and they don't have that, and you're supposed to have that. But what they do is have a parcel that they have been working on for several decades to bring that low-income housing to, and they don't. So um, I think it's, it's a little bit of that. And then the other thing is, is you know, um, I love my community, and I know that um, our elected officials are, um, they work really hard, and they have to, they have to take a lot of feedback for decisions that were made and, and, and things that they, you know, um, impose or, you know, bring on to the community. But we hear a lot of stories about like other communities dropping off people here, whether they're homeless or they just got out of jail or like we, we've heard that. I don't know if it's true. I'm not, I cannot confirm or deny that any of that is going on. But what I will tell you is, um, the last probably 15 years, our demographics has changed dramatically. Brad, do you remember it was like five years ago, they took all the homeless population in Salt Lake and put them on a bus and sent them to Vegas. <laughs> <gasps> and then they sent them back. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> they, they it happens so and the reason why I do know it happens is because once in a while you can take a moment all of this stuff is transparent your budgets for your cities your um, department de um, de department budgets so the police actually have a section for dealing with that hmm. like dealing with incoming traffic if you will like so it's obviously continual. So I was thinking about, because um, you've mentioned the homeless and things like that, I was thinking maybe like that would affect um, housing prices. But like in Salt Lake, for example, the population of homeless is pretty exponential. But even the houses that are still right around the heart of Salt Lake, that's like the most expensive area of the whole county. <laughs> Where all the homeless people are? Yeah. So, but they're like in the city and then the houses are in the suburbs. Well, there's houses in the city, like, so yeah. in Salt Lake City itself, up by like our, our city capital, mm -hmm. every house up there is at least $800,000. Well, but. And that's only maybe like a five to 10 block difference from the dense. Well, and, but that happens everywhere. So in LA, you can go to the most beautiful, amazing nightclub on Third Street. And if you go two blocks, I don't remember what direction it is, but like Second Street or First Street, homeless encampment, like encampment. So in larger cities, that in, in the city city, that does happen. Um, and there's really, I mean, you just go blocks and it's, and I mean, LA is a perfect example of that. LA is a perfect example of that. You'll be driving and it's like mansion, mansion. Ooh, nice house. Oh, is that a homeless naked person? Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's, so I think the larger the area that does happen, the smaller the area. So we don't, we don't have like over the top, beautiful homes, um, like, you know, mansions. We have, you know, a couple maybe of, you know, longtime families or whatever, but um, the median house, like, the houses in my neighborhood are about 300, 350. Um, but if you go closer into town, probably like, you know, 250, 280, 
And then when you go and there's other parts of town where, you know, it's a lot less, but you got a lot of work to do. So, you know, and that's the, the other thing in, in um, real estate uh, people, I get a lot of phone calls. Hey, can you give me a list of the foreclosures or, Hey, what's the best I can flip or you know, that? What the, I hate those TV shows that make you, you can get $30,000 if you just flip this house. Yeah, but we forgot to tell you it's $200,000 for the house, $50,000 for the remodel, and then you got to sell it for $300,000 to get that 50. Like they make it look like you don't have, and those ads that say, you know, don't spend a dime and start being an investor. Bullshit. Because even when you buy a house for a VA loan, that is zero um, they pay your down. They do, you still have to pay closing costs. So if you're going to buy a house, please be prepared to put down 3% of the sale. Just, just be ready for that. If you can't do 3% of the sale, it's going to be rough for you. Because that means we're going to get you into a house that maybe you can't afford. And do you really want to do that? Because then it's going to foreclose on you because you can't make the payments. You know, so I try to be very honest with people. Like, I don't even want to talk to you until you get pre-qualified with a lender and you guys decide how much house you can afford and how much house you want to buy. Because, you know, you have to be committed to that mortgage for the next 30 years. And I don't want you in a big, beautiful house that you're going to be out of in two years because you can't pay for it. Right. Makes perfect sense. But a lot of real estate agents and lenders don't do that. Um, well, they don't give a shit. They just want their commission. Yep. Yeah. But I, so, but I don't, to me, that's like shit, like don't shit where you eat. Like yeah. you're going to run into these people in the grocery store. You're going to run into them, you know, somewhere and they're going to be like, that's a bitch that's on that house. Um, not only that, if you get a good repertoire with them. Yeah. Word for me. I deposit. So uh, <laughs> they'll be like, oh, they were wonderful. They were honest, this and that. Hey, go talk to this person. Hey, go talk to this person. Yeah. Hey, she, she was great. Well, I mean, I have an incident where it was like family so it was like, um, but that, not only did I give up a lot of commission on that one because I had to pay for stuff because they didn't want to, but they expect a lot more from you and have a little less, they're too comfortable. So, you know, they think they're, they think you owe them because they're letting you, you know, I've had a situation like that where it was really like a perfect example. We were going to go to breakfast the other morning and I saw them walking in. I was like, nope, not going there. Yeah. So, cause you know, they're mad at me because they didn't get the price they wanted for their house. Um, and I still had to pay for some things to make the deal go through, but you might think your house is worth a million dollars and that's fantastic. That's why you're there. That's your house. But when you sell it, you gotta be realistic with what the comps are. What did Joe Blow sell his house for? That looks just like your house two doors down. It wasn't a million dollars. So you're not going to get that. So, so that you run into that sometimes. Yeah, me and my wife uh, went out to a city that you know we want to go to, and the real estate agent, she's actually really cool, really down to earth. And I told her, I'm like, you know, I've been in the construction industry for a long time, so I tend to nitpick things, and you know, I know a good enough amount of the prices. And the one house she went into, and it was one that she was been trying for like three years to sell. And I walked in there, and I'm like, nope. And I walked back out and she goes, but it's a beautiful house. It's turd. I'm not putting this much work into it. Well, nope. <laughs> and if she's been trying to sell it for three years, I haven't seen it. I don't know who it is. I don't know what's going on. It's priced too high and there's too much work that needs to be done. Yep. It's that simple. I mean, okay. the, you know, I, I was, I was telling you, Kevin, about that. Um, one of the houses that I sold was a very close friend of mine. Her grandmother had a $2.1 million home in the desert. And all I could think of was I could totally sell that. Are you guys familiar with Stagecoach and Coachella? Have you heard about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have. I've that, heard the, the name, but I don't know what it is. So Stagecoach is a country festival and Coachella is the opposite of that. So her house is literally a few miles within that festival. And I just, I knew we could sell it for either you know, a uh, talent that could be there or someone that wanted to rent it out. Like I just, I knew it was gonna, it was a, it had a lot of work that had to be done. We had to be realistic. So she wanted 2.1 million. I knew she wasn't going to get that, but we sold it for 1.9. Yeah. 
you know, so you just have to, you have to be realistic and set the goals and, and talk about it, you know, but if, it, but you can talk about it all day long and you're until you're blue in the face. And if it's priced too high and too much work needs to be done, you're never going to sell it because people are going to be like, nope, because there is some etiquette that you have to come in on. You can't come and lowball someone by, you know, $50,000 or hundreds of thousand dollars without offending someone, someone's going to get pissed. And then they're not going to, you know, negotiate with you very well after that. So, you know, you, you have to price it right for yourself and to sell it. I agree. Um, there was one, cause I just moved like what, six months ago, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. June, there July. Was, there was one place that we looked at and, uh, I love the house. And I was like, uh, it's a little high for the house and the land and everything that I need to do. We're, we're a little steep. And my agent goes, you know, I completely agree with you, but they're firm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're going to get this for the house. And I yeah. said, you're not. <laughs> well, it's been six months. That house is still on the market and just dropped $30,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a lot, and you could have come in at $30,000 under and they wouldn't have taken it because they yeah. believed that someone was going to come in. So pricing is everything. And then you can't even commit to that price. When you do a comp, you're coming as close to something that has been sold. That's just like your house, because don't forget an appraiser has to come in and say, yes, I believe your house um, is worth that amount. And if you say, you know, $300,000, but the appraiser says, I, th- I say 372, guess what? You're not getting the person. And even if the buyer says, I'll buy it for 380, the bank will only do it on what the appraisal says. So they'd have to come up with the cash for the difference. That's why that doesn't work. Right. Yep. And I've had that happen too on a couple deals where, and one house was gorgeous. I mean, every upgrade you could think of, it was beautiful. It was immaculate. But there was a foreclosure, I think four doors down of the same exact model. So they missed the financing. I think it was like 25 grand. So, and it was actually my daughter that was buying and she was like, I want it anyway. I'm like, you don't have 25 grand. Like the bank is only going to give you what the appraiser says it's worth. Right. And as a real estate agent, that's really frustrating too, because it's somebody's opinion. Like it's this random dude that doesn't know anybody or anything, or he might not even know the area. And he's telling us what the house is worth. And he gets all the information. He knows what the house is going for or she, you know, they know, they know all the information, but they're supposed to be protecting the bank, which I I get. But sometimes I'm like, that's, you're comparing it to something that obviously they didn't have the sense of, um, what is it? The ownership pride. They didn't have, they let their house go where these people had, you know, took care of their house and upgraded their house. And so that, that's, that happens too. There's so many factors um, in buying houses that can affect the deal. You know, that, um, that same thing happens apparently across the board within any genre of business Mm. because Brad and I were watching a video was last week. Yeah. Last week. The live, the, the dude at the body shop. And all he did the whole time was bitch about how shitty insurance companies are because they want to buy corners and he runs his body shop and wants to do things right. So they won't allow him to do anything with them because he costs too much. (laughs) Well, I was just, I had, uh, I was, I had a meeting with a potential client today, a potential member, and he worked for a very big car company um, and went through their master program. And he was like, just really, really high, did really, really well. But when the dealerships started being the places that you couldn't trust because they told you you needed breaks and and you didn't, or when that started happening everywhere, like everywhere else, he was like, I'm opening my own shop because I am not doing that. But they, they drill these numbers that you have to make that are so so, um, unrealistic Mm -hmm. that people are, you know, fudging the numbers and, you know, coercing people to buy stuff they don't need. And you know, that's, that's awful. But you're right. Every industry is like that because we have local homeowner, um, not home home builders 
when you learn about that process, as far as the construction crew, their timeline, and then the um, passing it over to the um, warranty guys who have to make up for all the mistakes that were made because it was done in such a short time, but the builder doesn't care as long as you get the people in the house. And now for three years after they're in the house, you're paying so much money when you could have just done it right the first time. Yep. I worked for a builder and there was one time before the 2007 house collapse happened, um, we would punch out houses in three months. We'd have the whole dug and everything done in three months. Yeah, and I was I, like, is it this like <laughs> bad? Cause I'm like going through stuff. Cause I was the QC guy and I'd go through and be like, yeah, we do that and that and that. Yeah. Like, well, I, you know what? I don't even go. think they have those guys anymore. It's like a they superintendent don't. and the and the actual guys nailing the 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 boards. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they cut wherever as you know, whoever's gonna slow them down, you're out. Yeah. Yeah, I uh uh when that happened he had to close down because I mean he lost everything. And I went to another company that well for the same position. And I turned in my first sheet and the guy's like, uh, no, like half the sheet can only be reported. I go, why? He goes, it's like two months of work. Yeah, I know. The house is trying to fall off the foundation. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, oh, well, you're, you're, you're fine. No, no. I'm like, no. And after that, I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, no, I left that and left it behind. And well, I still get a couple of buddies that'll call me to go and inspect houses for them and they're like, well, you have a license? Not anymore. Well, you know all the codes? I stamped codes. So, yeah. He goes, well, come and inspect it. So I inspect it and hand it to him, hand it to the realtor. And the realtor gets pissed. He gets happy. I'm like, it's a piece of shit. Sorry. <laughs> well, I showed this house and it was everything the husband wanted and the wife. I, 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 the, it was the space they wanted. There was all this, but there were, I could see the work and I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm like, that needs to be painted. That needs to be fixed. That need, that should even look like that. That needs to be, you know, and, and he was like, no, no, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And I'm like, I pulled her aside and I said, look, your husband owns his own tire shop. He is always busy. He is not going to do this. So I just want you to be comfortable with what you're moving into. It's not turnkey. And are you, are you willing to wait for him to find time or buddies to help him do that? Because thankfully yeah. we found another house. <laughs> yeah. Because that would have been a nightmare. I would have felt guilty. There's like, you're, you know, and it sucks to be like, you know, sir, I don't think you're going to do that work that you say you're going to do. But dude, you don't have time. How, what, what makes you think you're going to have time to do that when you're running your own business that's very successful? He's always busy. So I'm like, uh, the guys that he knows are helping him, you know, work now. I'm like, so I was really glad that they got something else. But, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, and even inspections are tough, too, because you guys have to just go visually. You know, if it looks like there's something, you have to recommend that specialist, a plumber, a electrician, a roofer, contractor. So I, that whole thing is kind of pointless to me, because if it looks like not good, then... Have somebody fix it before we buy it but yeah. that costs money the art of negotiation yeah right yeah it's it's tough i i feel bad for some people and then i don't feel bad for other people because it's like yeah. i don't know I feel well, like you know, and, and it can be overwhelming because, you know, we were talking about the homeless thing. We were talking about, you know, just life in general. We have to, we, our job is to take care of our family and our immediate circle, because if we try to take on too much for everybody else, which I have learned the hard way time and time again, you know, um, it just, it's too hard to balance and it's overwhelming. I think uh, a lot of people too, just don't know what they're getting into and they just, brush and jump the gun and then all of a sudden they have to replace their roof you know what i mean so i think it would be highly beneficial to always advise your buyers to just know what the hell they're looking for yeah yeah but that's always hard too because you don't know what you don't know you know you can have someone who's really really smart in 
whatever it is they do and their partner is really, really smart in what they do, but they don't know construction. They don't know, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So that's where the trust factor has to come in, which sucks because they get taken advantage of a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Patience is a virtue. Yeah. And it's something we probably always have to work, work on. Uh, you know, people say that the millennials are instant gratification. And I think that's because they're in the digital age. Um, you guys are probably millennials. Uh, um, I'm, yeah. I'm a little on the other side. I'm a, well, I'm a Grammy, so um, I, I knew life before electronics. But Yeah, so um, did I. Huh? I, I grew up with the, without the internet. Okay. I like to refer to myself as a zennial. It's a cross between Gen X and the millennial. Okay, I'll take it. Because we're at that, that higher spectrum where we could be either or. <laughs> okay, that's a bad reputation i'm like yeah nope not it <laughs> <laughs> well all my babies are you know they're um my oldest is 28 and my youngest is 17 and um they have a lot of the same traits although my oldest one you know was a little bit before that where my my 17 and 19 year old are right in the middle of it like they've always had it they've always you know and and i do see the differences that way um, and I was another conversation I was having, this guy was like, well, my kids aren't like that. I, I gave them foundation and, and I, and I shouldn't say it like that. Cause it was great what he was saying, but I have four kids that I treated exactly the same and you couldn't find four more different people on the world's, uh, like they're all like all over the place. You know, uh, my oldest son graduated as, um, athlete of the year he was like team captain for football for basketball for baseball and he was little but he was really really good my daughter super sporty my um middle son was like a skater not really um the sports teams but like athletic and my youngest who is the biggest doesn't have a an aggressive bone in his body could give two shits about competition and just wants he is the nicest kid though. Like he, he really, really cares about everyone. Like he's always, I'm a nice person. I'm a really good girl. Like I, I really care genuinely about a lot of people. And he's always like, Hey, you shouldn't say that. Or, Hey, let's, you know, it's like, where did you get that from? Like, I, I, you know, so uh, yes, I believe in foundation, but I think our children are just going to be who they are, whether we like it or not. And they're all great. They're just not like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard, was listening to something. Uh, I can't remember who or when. It was recent. Um, and they said something like, you're raised by a certain set of people or person. Um, and you're raised with their mindset. And it's going to basically trickle down into you. And that's how you're going to be. And I was like, hmm. Couldn't be more untrue. Like my grandma was 88 and the two, hello? The yeah, two- um, coming in and out. The two little guys were um, um, RJ, my youngest, who the one I was telling you is like super sweet and loves everybody and is like very, he's like, I'm not gonna say it. He's very protective of everyone, right? Well, my grandmother, old school like i'll give you a perfect example she still said oriental i think something about someone be and he was like we called her thoughty thoughty it's asian you don't that's offensive you're gonna hurt somebody's feelings and she was like what what are you talking she was like the most devout catholic you've ever met in your life so she knows like she has you know no sins on her you know but she was offended that he said she offended someone because she said Oriental. She said a lot of things that were old school that we definitely don't say anymore that we constantly had to, but that was the least offensive of all of them. Um, so, you know, and my kids aren't anything like that. Like, uh, especially the younger ones who grew up with her, you know, for many, many years, she lived with us for like six years and, and they loved her and respected her, but they didn't agree with hardly anything. I mean, that's, that's one way that I was raised. Uh, he, uh, 
my dad was in the Marine Corps for eight years, and I mean, best guy I ever known, meanest son of a bitch they'll ever be, and but he also told you, you know, you're gonna learn respect for not only yourself, for me and your mother, and for everybody else, even if they don't deserve it, you're gonna give them that little shred of respect. Yeah. I mean, there was one time I was telling a joke with buddies, and I mean, it was super funny, and yet racist as all get out, and. My dad came up from out of nowhere and gave me a brain duster. And he goes, you know better than that. I'm like, sorry. Okay. All right. Cause I mean, you, you can't beat up staff Sergeant Coy cause he'll kill you six times before you hit the ground. <laughs> you know, um, talking about, um, my dad was a Navy vet and, um, growing up, I just thought my dad was a dick to be honest with you. He just, that's just, he was a functional alcoholic in that we always had a case of beer in the fridge, but I never had an incident or anything happen. My dad always went to work. We, it was, everything was, in my eyes, normal, right? I never, but he was always really, really fun when he had more alcohol. Like, he was the guy you never saw, but um, he was very uh, moody, you know, and mean. And it wasn't until after I um, lost him that and I don't even remember how it happened that I started hanging out with all these veterans. I, I, I just, I think it was because of the VA because I had found the VA in 2006, I think for my dad and we started getting in benefits and doing it. So I started kind of bumping into veterans and learning about nonprofits and things that we could do to support them. But the, the, we have a American Legion uh, here in town in the post, these guys took me under their wing and I mean, I do anything for them. They're like second daddies to me. They're so awesome. But what I learned about my dad is he wasn't a dick. He had PTSD because he didn't talk about anything and he didn't do. So that would be a whole different podcast. But, but I, you know, I, I, I think it's important that what they were trying to do was protect us. Not, you know, they weren't trying, it wasn't about being a pussy or not. It was about, you don't need to know what I saw, what I did and what I went through. They were protecting us. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, and again, that's a whole nother podcast on the veterans because, you know, I, they have a whole spot in my heart. Like, um, you know, we owe them a lot. And um, so, and we probably should do a podcast on that. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to the commander and he can do a podcast with you. Because our veterans deserve everything. They do. We, you know, we need to be there for them emotionally, even though they don't want it. Because a lot of these old bastards don't, don't, don't hug me like that. Don't look, don't feel sorry. For, I don't feel sorry for you. I'm just glad you're here. And I'm glad that we're here together, you know, and it's hard for them to accept that because that's not how it used to be. Yeah. Let's absolutely do another episode on that. That'd be awesome. And that's all awesome. two episodes in a row where somebody said pussy on our show. Oh, <laughs> Dang it. I, I don't even know if I can share this in my community because I started getting like into it with you guys and comfortable and I'm sure you're not going to block out the. Nope. The nope. That's, that's our thing is it our, we, we don't edit anything because if we mess up, we want you to know we messed up. If we screw it up, it's already out there. And why not be genuine? Because that's what people are looking for. Is no, looking for the genuine. it's true. But there's like, um, you know, I, well, and that's what I'm trying to, to get to a place where I can become, because that's who I am. I have the mouth of a sailor because I come from a sailor. And it's just like, I, and especially if I'm like on one, like I was talking for, 30 minutes by myself, I forget, you know, and then it just comes out, but I'm also the executive director for my local chamber. And you, I, Oh my God, I, I uh, shock the shit out of them all the time. Cause I do stuff like this on accident all the time. So uh, I get talkings too. And I, and I, I'm, I would like to say I'm getting better. I'm probably not, but at least I don't say the F word as much as I used to. Cause that, you know, so I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah I, I mean i try to do the same to it, same thing i mean i grew up parents cuss and swear so of course you know my first word was almost the f word and, um <laughs> but yeah i mean there's there's places for it and yeah there's some people that don't know about it and some people that do so yeah 
Well, and the other thing is, is, uh, you know, Dave Daly was one of my very first clients and he is my hero. I love him so much. I will always look up to him. And uh, he's the one that taught me to get more comfortable with being real about who I am because I'm going to be more relevant um, to people who can connect with me. And um, yes, there's a certain place and a certain time for everything. But if you're not true to who you are, it's going to come out at the worst time, you know? So just like I said, baby steps, trying to lay off the, you know, the, the significant ones and, um, you know, just, but, you know, like he says, my heart is pure. I don't ever, I'm not malicious. I don't try to do things to F things up or, you know, make someone uncomfortable. And, uh, and I do try, if I do know that someone like, I mean, we have members that are pastors and I hate when I say shit in front of them and I, you know, it's like, oh shit, sorry, wait, sorry. Uh, you know, and, but they know me now. And the thing is, is I don't do it to be disrespectful. It's just my vocabulary. You know, I am smart. So they say that sometimes you're, you're not smart, but you know, they say people who swear more often are more genuine and honest. Yeah. That's why they say we're not smart because we're genuine and honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, funny enough, talking to two dumb rednecks, so. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, funny enough, you talk about Dave Daly. We had Dave Daly on the show, too. And uh, at the end of it, he left the thing where it's like, holy crap. <laughs> and we just kind of sat here for like 30 minutes. And be like, I don't even know how to take in that much information. I mean, we were like for four days, we were like, Holy crap. And then two weeks later, something that Dave Daly said finally clicked in his head. And he goes, text me and he goes, I get it. And I'm like, what do you get? And he like, kind of like word vomited out. And I'm like, oh, sh oh shit. Oh, okay. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because a lot of times we overcomplicate things because we're thinking about it and rethinking about it. And and, you know, how can we do it this way? Or how did we do it right? Stop thinking about it. Just do stuff. You know, part of the reason why I think I was successful my first year of real estate is I was not going to learn every mark, every hole. That's why I have a broker. I might not know it, but she will. Like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get out there and you learn as you go. You don't have to be perfect because you never will be. You know, don't waste time trying to do something you know, when you're new, it's okay. Accept that. Run with it. You know, and people will trust you if you're honest by saying, I might not know the answers, but I know my broker will, you know, or my boss or my mentor or whatever, you know, I, I may not know the answer, but I'll find it for you. They believe that more than a wrong answer when they know it's wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I can understand that. And that's, I think that's what people just are looking for. Yeah. They, they want to see you as you, not you as these nine different titles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and the other thing is, is um, getting out there and podcasts are important and, you know, social media is important, but you need to connect with people. You need to talk, you will inspire the person in front of you and that person will do the same for you. Try to have a, even this is a little more, real you know it's a little more it, you're here you're now you're talking to me i'm hearing you um because social media is not always true like i i'll be the first to say if you go on any of my social media sites i don't post when i'm having a shitty day or whatever drama i'm going through because guess what that's just one thing that i'm dealing with i'm still getting through it to get to the next thing and you have to decide that things are not going to affect your future you know, it's the moment or it's a decision or it's that project, but it's not going to, you know, tomorrow you're still going to wake up. You're still going to be hungry. You're still going to, you know, have that next gig, you know? So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I do not believe that you should ever talk about politics, religion, or your bullshit on social media. It's not being fake. It's just being in charge of what you're putting out there. Yeah, I could agree with that. Um, even Kevin can agree with that with some of the stuff that he knows about. And it's uh, – Facebook used to be cool. Used to be cool. Because, you know, people just post funny stuff and random stuff. And then these 
new kids that grew up into it just made it terrible and well and you know i mean they're they're now they're affecting our seniors because we have seniors that are believing whatever's on there not looking where it came from not looking to check the details or the facts or you know they're just believing it because it's on there and they haven't been trained to understand that social media is a controllable media that can be you know, good, bad, or indifferent, whatever the author decides to put out there, you know, and they don't know that. And then they fall for this. And then they call you freaked out about, you know, the world is, the sky is falling tomorrow. And Donald Trump said that we have to go hide. And like, really? Like, you just said that out loud and you believe it? Like, that's stupid. What's wrong with you? But. I mean, technically it's not media at all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's the people. Yeah. So I guess another question that, always we we're trying to always ask is what is your meaning or thought of success like what's your personal definition of i think it's just being productive you know a lot of times when we're working for success we have this ultimate goal or we have what we think it looks like But if you're doing something every day to make money, to increase your business, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's, it's something that's making a positive impact on your forward momentum, productivity, it just boils down to productivity. You can sit down and make lists all day that you're not going to do. You're, you can reorganize because entrepreneurs are the worst. We organize, reorganize, do lists, make a to-do list. We, we're going to have meetings and meetings. and me- But what are you doing to be productive? You cannot be successful unless you're productive. So I think success has to be productivity. And it doesn't mean that you have to earn a dollar for that task, but it has to get you closer to that goal. I like that one. I dig it. Yeah. Another new one. Yep, another new one. Every, every person we've asked so far has been different in every way. And so it's, I kind of like seeing everybody's different thoughts and everything. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the cool part about entrepreneurs because there's so many personalities, you know? Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. This was really fun. I had a lot of fun.